Famous last words. Many people have spoken them. Every person has spoken last words at some point and will at some point, but there are very few that are famous. There are very few that have impact for you living today in the 21st century. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher around 270 B.C., and supposedly before he died he said, Now farewell and remember all my words. And yet, living today in the 21st century, can any of you actually tell me what Epicurus said? We may know a little bit about his philosophy, but I bet none of us could actually tell us something that he actually said. What about Julius Caesar? The Roman dictator, the Roman emperor, who was assassinated by the Roman Senate. Supposedly, he said while he was dying and being attacked, he looked out and he saw his friend Brutus. And supposedly he said, Et tu, Brute? And you, Brutus? We remember that one. But does that impact you at all today? Not really. Famous last words. There are very few famous last words that you can remember and that have impact for your life today. And yet the series we're beginning now has both. We want to remember them, and it has big-time impact for your lives living in the 21st century today. We're looking at the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. The seven statements, the seven phrases from the cross that Jesus said. What would they be? What would his last words be from the cross? Especially considering the context. Especially considering the events leading up to the cross. Let's talk, let's talk about the context real quick. Jesus celebrates the, the Passover in the upper room on Thursday night before he dies on Friday. He celebrates the Passover, he institutes the Lord's Supper, and then he wants to talk with his disciples about what's coming up, his death. And yet, what are the twelve more worried about? They want to talk about which one of them is the greatest disciple. Part of that group, one of the twelve, is Judas, who leaves the meal early to go to the Jewish Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council, to betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. After the meal's over, Jesus goes with his disciples to Gethsemane, where he prays. And as he's praying, a group of uh, Jewish religious leaders, along with Roman soldiers, come to arrest him in the night. They bring him before the court, where they have all kinds of false accusations against him, where the Roman soldiers beat him, whip him 39 times, twist together a crown of thorns and place it on his head, put a purple robe on him, and bow to him in mock worship, mock humility. They blindfold him, punch him in the face, and say, tell us, prophesy, who hit you? He stands before a Roman governor who knows that he's innocent and yet condemns him to die. Meanwhile, his closest friends, 
who have betrayed him, who've argued about who's the greatest, abandon him and leave him alone. They drag him outside the city walls, up a hill right outside the city called Golgotha or Calvary, also known as the place of the skull, where they lay him on a cross and soldiers hold his hands and feet in place while they hammer nails through them and pin him to the cross like you would pin something to a cardboard wall. They put the cross in place and they lift it up and there Jesus is suspended for the whole world to see. Add insult to injury, most likely the Romans crucified people naked. And so their God is beaten, torn apart, deserted, and suspended naked for the whole world to see. What would he say from the cross? That's what we're going to look at starting today. And today we look at the very first phrase that he says, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 23. And so let's jump in. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Even on the cross, Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament Scripture. If you want a homework assignment, go home today and read Psalm 22 and think of Jesus on the cross. King David wrote those words a thousand B.C., a thousand years before Jesus was even born, and yet it's almost picturesque of what Jesus is going through. It's called a messianic, messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. And in Psalm 22, David says, guess what? They divided up his, my clothes and cast, and by casting lots. Direct quote from Psalm 22. Our Savior is led up onto, a, onto the hill and then crucified. And if it was you and me, what would be the first words coming out of our mouths? What should we expect to hear when this man who went through all of this first speaks? Bitterness, anger, some sort of retaliation, revenge, cursing, swearing, not Jesus. Instead, what Jesus says stops us in our tracks. Because it's almost, it's out of this world what he says. No other human would respond this way, but Jesus looks up and he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Forgive them. Who's the them? Who's the they that Jesus is talking about? Is it the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin? Because they knew. They knew Jesus was innocent. That's why they waited until it was darkness and in the middle of the night to arrest him instead of arresting him when he was teaching and preaching in the temple. That's why they had to set up 
false accusations against him. They knew he was innocent. They knew he didn't deserve death. But it was self-righteousness, greed, and envy that caused them to go forward with it. Did Jesus mean them? Did Jesus mean Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor? Who throughout the night, it's recorded that he said, this man has done nothing to deserve death. You see, Pilate knew. He knew he was innocent. And in fact, at one point, Pontius Pilate brings out a basin of water, washes his hands before the people and says, this man's blood is not on me. I am innocent of this man's guilt. And yet it was Pilate that finally gave the order, crucify him. Did Jesus mean Pilate? Did Jesus mean the soldiers that held his hands in place, that held his feet in place, that drove the nails through him, that mocked him, that beat him, that put a a crown of thorns on his head, despite hearing it all, despite seeing that they couldn't agree on a false accusation to even accuse Jesus of, to see how innocent he was. They knew and yet they went with it anyways. Did Jesus mean them? Did Jesus mean the women and the men who followed him from Jerusalem out to the place of the skull, crying behind him? They knew he was innocent, yet they did nothing. They said nothing. Did Jesus mean his relatives and his disciples who abandoned him and left him to die alone, They knew. Did did Jesus mean the thousands of people that he fed, the lame that he caused to walk, the blind that he gave sight to? Did he mean the, the people that he brought back from the dead, that he healed of leprosy and sicknesses and disease? They knew. And yet they did nothing. They said nothing because it was safer to be at home than to face the crowd. Did Jesus mean them? Or did Jesus mean me? You? We knew too, didn't we? We knew what God's Word said. God says, love God above all. Trust in Him above everything. We knew. And yet, how often don't we love the gifts more than the giver? For the gifts and the things of this world, we have love and abundance. For the gifts and the things of this world, we will arrange our time and put them in our schedule like blocks that can't be moved. But God gets moved to when it's convenient. God says, trust in me above all. And yet, how often don't we trust the things of this world to give us purpose and meaning in life because God's purpose and meaning for us isn't good enough? We will love God. We will trust God when it's convenient and when things are working out, but when it's not, we turn to other things. We knew. And even if we didn't know, the Bible says we're without excuse. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your neighbors. We knew. And yet, how often don't we lie, cheat, and talk poorly about them to make us feel better? Jesus said, don't complain about your lot in life. Whether your health is taken away, your wealth is taken away, whether heat, electricity, and water is taken away. We knew. 
And yet when those things go away, how often don't we turn to God in frustration and anger as if we deserved the gifts in the first place? We knew. Did he mean us? Who did Jesus mean? The answer, yes. All of the above. Jesus from the cross, his very first words are something out of this world. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive the ones who aren't even sorry. Father, forgive the betrayers, the mockers. Forgive those who nailed me to the cross. Father, forgive those who don't love you with all their hearts. Forgive those who don't trust you. Forgive those who love the gifts more than the giver. Forgive those who don't love their neighbors. Forgive, forgive, forgive them. Oh, it is incredible. These words are so incredible because here, what do we see? Grace. Undeserved love. Father, forgive them. You are included in that prayer. I am included in that prayer. Father, forgive them. What do we learn about our Savior from this? It's your first point today. Jesus doesn't cancel the sinner, but forgives the sin. Jesus doesn't cancel the sinner, but forgives the sin. This is so important for us to understand because Jesus, even the people sitting there who are rejoicing and, and having, thinking it's the best day ever because Jesus is crucified. He asked for forgiveness. Forgive them. Jesus doesn't cancel the sinner. He forgives the sin. Think of how countercultural that is for us today. We live in a cancer culture society, don't we? What that means is that if, if culture deems what you said or did offensive, they cancel you. They cut you out. They shut you out. And you have to work and work and work to get back into their good graces. Some people have lost their jobs because of one thing they said or one thing they did. Some people have lost their reputation for one thing they said and did. They cancel you. They're done with you. In some ways, culture and God are similar, aren't they? Both have a moral standard. For both... It doesn't matter if you did it intentionally or unintentionally. You're responsible. The difference is that Jesus doesn't cancel the sinner. He forgives the sin. Culture cancels a sinner and doesn't forgive the sin. Let me show you how this played out. I don't know if you paid attention to the news recently. Ah, I shouldn't say news. Hollywood news. Uh, maybe a little different. <laughs> Chris Harrison, you know that name? Host of The Bachelor for 25 seasons. The Bachelor franchise, Bachelor and Bachelorette, sorry. A couple of years ago, they had a woman on there named Rachel, and it came out that she tweeted and posted on social media racist things, which has absolutely no place at all. It's wrong. She has come out and apologized for it. 
Recently, Chris Harrison in an interview was asked about that. And he said, in this situation, I think grace, space, and compassion needs to be had. And guess what they did? Canceled him. They said, you support a racist, and you are canceled. And he's had to step away from The Bachelor. Not only did they cancel Chris Harrison, they canceled Rachel. Let me ask you, what would Jesus have done? What did Jesus do? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. It's the same thing that Jesus said for you and for me. For all the times we've betrayed Him. For all the times that we have said something offensive. For all the times that we have sinned. Father, forgive them. Jesus doesn't cancel the sinner, but He forgives the sin. And that's what He's done for you and for me. It is unbelievable grace. And sometimes to you and me, that grace can even be offensive because it's so foreign. Because Jesus doesn't just pray for the good little Christian. He doesn't just pray for forgiveness for those who are sorry. He asks forgiveness for everyone, for even the one who isn't sorry. That's His prayer. Forgive them. And that's even more amazing. That prayer is even more incredible as we look at what happens next. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the of the Jews. Jesus gets done saying this amazing prayer. Father, forgive them. And how do the people respond? They mock him. They sneer at him. Hey, look, he saved others, but he sure can't save himself. And the soldiers who nail him to the cross look up at him and say, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself, tough guy. And yet, he didn't. He stayed there. Why? It's because the second thing we learn, Jesus doesn't save himself, but others. Jesus doesn't save himself, but others. He stayed on that cross, not for himself, but for you and me. For everyone. If you've been canceled by society, how do you get back? For instance, how's Chris Harrison going to get back? How's Rachel ever going to get back? The answer? You're sorry for what you've done. You show that you're, you're sorrowful and that you made a mistake, and then you work hard to make up for that past mistake. And you work, and you work, and you work and you try, and you show that you are different. You donate to charities. You do this. You do that. And you show that you are a changed person. But you know what? In the back of your mind, you're never really sure if people forgive you. 
Maybe you're experiencing that with people in your life. Maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you've done things and and you've worked hard and you try and you try, but you're never quite sure that you've done enough. Maybe it's that way in your relationship with God. You regret things in your past. You wish you wouldn't have done them, but you did. And now you've been working and trying to show God that you're different, to show God that you deserve His love and forgiveness, but you're never quite sure. How can you ever know? How? Because Jesus never got down. Because He stayed pinned to that cross. Not for Himself, but for you and for me. Jesus stayed to that cross so that all of your mistakes have been made up for. He stayed on that cross so all of your intentional sins have been paid for. He stayed on that cross so when He prays, Father, forgive them, God answers, yes, I will. And I have. Because of you, Jesus. You are forgiven. I am forgiven. Everyone has had forgiveness won for them at the cross because Jesus stayed nailed to it. It's called objective justification. God has paid for the sins of the entire world. Not just for those who are sorry. Not just for the good little Christian. He has paid for the sins of the entire world. And that becomes yours. You receive the benefits of it, the peace, the joy, the credit, through faith in Jesus as your Savior. At the cross, Jesus won forgiveness for the entire world. Father, forgive them. God says, yes. For the betrayer, for the mocker, for the ones who killed him, yes. I will forgive them. Jesus doesn't save himself. He saves others. Father, forgive them. So what do we want to do? Where do we go from here? Two things. Number one, stop trying and rest. If you've been trying to earn God's love, if you've been trying to earn God's forgiveness, if you've been trying to make up for things in your past, stop. And know that you are forgiven because Jesus didn't get down. He stayed there for you. You are forgiven. You have God's love and acceptance because of Jesus. So stop trying and rest in that forgiveness. Rest in the peace of Jesus. And then number two, it's your last point. Let's forgive as we have been forgiven. It's easy to blend in with the cancel culture and cancel others. But let's not do that. Let's show the world grace. Because that's what's been given to us. Let's forgive as we have been forgiven. And as we do, we will change the world because we will show that grace and forgiveness and lead them to Jesus. Where we can lead them them to the foot of the cross and they too can hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them. And the Father will say, yes, I have. Because you, Jesus, stayed on the cross. This is just the first one. We've got several more weeks in this series. But let's remember this one. 
Let's remember it because it impacts you today as you know you're at peace with God. Let's remember this one because this will impact you for eternity because you have peace with God not just today but forever because Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And he stayed there. And God does. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, what incredible love we see at the cross where you pray for not just the ones who are sorry, not for the good people, but you pray for everyone that God would forgive them. That is why you are on the cross, to pay for the sins of the world, the sins of the soldiers, the mockers, the sins of Pontius Pilate, the sins of me, the sins of the people here, the sins of the Jewish people who led the charge. You died for everyone, and you want forgiveness for all. As we live in that forgiveness, bring us peace, and let us forgive as we have been forgiven so that we can lead more and more people to the foot of the cross so that they can receive that forgiveness as well, that you won there for the entire world. Be with us today as we leave here and continue to let us be at peace knowing that our sins are forgiven. Amen. Part of tradition in Christian worship is that we say a statement of faith that we call a creed. And so we're going to say the Apostles' Creed today, uh, which was written around 100 A.D.